New series today. You hopefully will know this by now. Much of the Christian faith is built on holding complementary pairs of biblical truths together at the same time. Not contradictory things, but sometimes paradoxical things because our tiny minds struggle sometimes to hold two things that can appear to contradict together. I remember when my middle son was about six years old, he was an Arsenal fan. Sorry, no, <laughs> nothing to do with me. He was an Arsenal fan <coughs> and he was very confused and could not in his tiny mind work out how David Seaman was the goalkeeper both for Arsenal and for England. It just didn't compute for him, but it does hold together. So let me give you five examples quickly of pairs of complementary biblical truths, an A and a B, that do hold together in balance. So A, there is one God, and B, God is three persons in one. They hold together biblically. Second one, A, Jesus is fully man and he is fully God. Thirdly, the Bible is God's words in man's words so that they are authentically both. God's sovereignty, A, works together with man's responsibility. In this life, we believe in healing and the presence of suffering. So you hold complementary pairs of biblical truths together because they are clearly presented in the Bible. Now here's another one that directly pertains to this new series we're starting this morning. Psalm 24 verse 1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The whole thing belongs to God, everything in it belongs to him, and everyone in it belongs to him. That's one of the foundational threads of Scripture that weaves its way all through the Bible. It's a thing that we do well to remember, that as you put on your clothes this morning, that as you perhaps got in your car this morning, that as you woke up in your flat or your house this morning, most of us, you remember, oh, this isn't mine. Anybody think that today? Probably not. Let me encourage you tomorrow morning to remember it's not yours. It's on loan. You came into the world with nothing. You'll leave it with nothing. It always was God's. It is God's. It will be God's. It doesn't belong to you. But with that, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it is this, A and B. Psalm 115 verse 16 says, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to the human race. What does that pair of complementary truths tell us? Well, it tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, it all belongs to him, yet he has graciously de delegated to mankind the care of much of what belongs to him. And that's something that we find at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, obviously detailed to us the six days of creation. In the beginning, God. And he said, let there be light. And day two and day three and day four and so on. And day six has two parts to it. He creates the land animals. And then we read this on day six. 
Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing, creature that moves on the ground. Chapter 2, verse 15, quickly. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We've got a complementary pair of truths there. Who, who is ruling? Who's in charge? Who's creating? Well, it's obviously God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He made it. <coughs> but he is delegating in those passages, he's delegating to mankind a huge and significant responsibility to care for all aspects of what he has made. You could say people, planet, and places. Those two complementary things are there together. And in making the distinction between God's ultimate rule and mankind's delegated rule, John Stott, famous theologian, wrote this, Our possession of the earth is leasehold, therefore not freehold. We are only tenants. God himself remains the landlord. When Jackie and I first got married, we rented, I think, three houses, uh, not at once, but in a row, uh, one after another. We weren't that wealthy. We rented a property. It was our first married home. It's always a special thing. But we were tenants. We knew that. It was very clear in the agreement that the whole house was ours to use. We, it's like we exercised delegated rule over it. We took our responsibilities seriously. We looked after it. We worked hard to maintain it. It was my first real experience of gardening. And I haven't got any better since. But there was never any confusion about who owned it. Our privileges to use it, the whole house, were matched by our responsibilities to look after it. I think the word we could use for our tenancy under God is stewardship, which is the title of this new series starting today. The, the hope through this series is to help us to understand and to fully own our God-given mandate to steward the resources that God has given us, people, planet, and places, to consider our time, our talents, our treasures, to think about our work that God has delegated to us to do, to think about our minds, our bodies, to even think about bigger things like the beginning of life, the end of life, to think about the earth, to think about the climate, all the stuff that God has given mankind to steward. By the end of this series, our hope is that we will be owning that responsibility joyfully under God all the more significantly than perhaps at the moment. Now, the concept of stewardship, I would say, runs, it's another thread that runs through the Bible. But the word, at least in the NIV translation, is only ever used 
once. It's used in 1 Peter 4 verse 10, which in fact we'll look at next week. It says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Faith, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now that word stewards is a translation from a Greek word that's actually used 10 times in the New Testament, only once translated as steward in the NIV. And it means a household manager. Imagine you were wealthy enough and you had an estate. You might employ a steward, a household manager to care for your estate. It's a little bit like what Joseph did when he was in Potiphar's house in Egypt. Potiphar was able to leave all the household affairs to Joseph. He was like a steward. But it means more broadly than that, it means someone entrusted with an assignment, someone managing on behalf of another, someone charged to take responsibility and care of something for another. That's the idea behind this biblical sense of stewardship. In 1 Peter 4 verse 10, we're to steward the gifts we've got for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. Paul often referred to his ministry, in fact, as a ministry like he'd been stewarded. God had gifted him something to steward well for the benefit of those who needed to know about Jesus. I lent a couple of books to someone recently. I could have said to them, but I didn't, because it would have been far too formal. I could have said, please steward them carefully. They're not yours. Books are precious things, as some of you will agree. Some of you think, who cares about a book? Others of us think books are very precious. Please steward it. It's not yours. You're lending it. You're borrowing it. It's mine still. In fact, we're all stewards. You may never have thought of it, but you are all stewards. Every single one of us has been entrusted with things from God, by God, even though they belong to him and will return to him on his behalf. Many of us are at work. Most have been at work. Many are parents. Some have church responsibilities. All have resources, time, talents, treasures to some degree that God has given to us, not only for us, but for others and for his glory. You are a steward of God's grace in its various forms. So what does Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 teach us about our role as stewards of the people and planet and places that God has given us influence over? Let me mention these three things then this morning. The first is this, the physical and the spiritual both matter. If you ask the average Christian this question, I wonder what they'd say. I wonder what you'd say. Which matters more, the spiritual or the physical? Well, presumably, you'd expect to say, well, the spiritual matters more because God is spirit. It's spiritual life that he's given to us. The spiritual is eternal. Therefore, that's clearly the real deal. And I know, I know what you'd be saying even this week. We had a funeral here. And in speaking at the funeral, I referred to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul talks about the body as a tent. He's saying it's temporary. It's going to pass. No one wants to live in a tent forever. I certainly wouldn't. I've been camping a few times. 
no desire to live in a tent for any lengthy period of time. Paul's saying, you've got a tent, it's going to go, it's not your future permanent dwelling. There's a sense in which we understand, yeah, the spiritual is in a sense more important, but that stark spiritual, physical, or you could say sacred, secular polarization is, is foreign to the world of the Bible. And it's undone by this principle of stewardship. One theologian says this, the sacred-secular divide, what is that? Well, it's the pervasive belief that some things are really important to God and the other things aren't. On the sacred side of the divide, of course, there's church, there's prayer meetings, there's social action, there's world mission and so on. We believe these things are important to God, and of course they are. And then on the other side, human activities are at best neutral, perhaps, might be the belief. Work and school and college and sports and the arts and music, unless it's Christian music, of course, leisure, sleep, rest. They're, they're the secular things. They belong on the other side. And you, so you can get this sacred, secular, or spiritual, physical divide going on in the Christian world. That's not what this principle of stewardship says to us. It's very interesting, don't you think, that the invisible, non-physical God created a visible, physical world. I thought about that this week. It had never occurred to me before. I just thought, that's interesting. At least interesting. It at least means that the physical matters. Hugely because it's been created by God. It means that the physical has dignity. And in Genesis 1 and 2, it's the physical stuff that God charges male and female to care for. God's word, if you've read any of it, is clearly interested in what we do with our physical selves, how we interact with one another, what we do with the things around us, which is different from other worldviews. The Christian worldview, I think, is unique on this point, holding these two together. See, the modern, modern Western worldview is simply, essentially, that the physical matters. Forget anything else. At the end of the day, you do whatever you want with your physical self because you need to experience all you can in this life, make the most of you, you be you, of course is the great phrase, the physical is what matters. That's very different from ancient Eastern worldviews where the spiritual took priority where the physical really is an illusion or sort of waiting at least to be released from the evil physical so that it can, be, it can fly and prosper in a purely spiritual perfection. The Christian worldview wonderfully holds together the spiritual and the physical. God declared his physical creation good. And at the end of day six, when he created mankind, he said it was very good. Jesus was and is still a fully physical human as God. We serve him and worship him in our physical bodies. In fact, the spiritual is inhabiting the physical now, isn't it? 
That's how this life is lived with God. And then it will be, as 2 Corinthians 5 talks about as well, on a newly created physical earth in resurrected physical bodies that will enjoy the new heaven. Where is everything heading to? Is it just heading to the elimination of physical in favour of the spiritual? Of course not. The Bible and the New Testament clearly teaches that where things are heading is that when Jesus returns, he will restore all things and give us resurrected bodies so that we have renewed, perfected physical existence where the spiritual and the physical are truly united as Isaiah and Revelation help us to see. So please avoid two potential Christian pitfalls. Number one, don't be the Christian who cares very little for the physical world, people, planet, places, because, well, it's all going to be burned up anyway. So you read 2 Peter chapter 3, and it does say that, and that's absolutely right. But that doesn't mean at all that this doesn't matter. It at least matters because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, it clearly matters. On the other hand, don't make a God out of anything that we're called to steward. Don't make a God out of your work. Don't make a God out of your body. Don't make a God out of your family or your children. Don't make a God out of the environment. The earth is the Lord's. He's still the Lord, but has stewarded us an awful lot of stuff to care for. The physical and the spiritual matters. That's why this matter of stewardship is so, so vital. Secondly, stewardship, our role in caring for God's good creation, <coughs> is part of what it means to be made in God's image. See, God's creative acts in Genesis chapter 1 reach their pinnacle with, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. That is a profound statement on so many levels. Note these couple of things at least. It's the only part of creation, of that narrative, where there is divine dialogue. It's the only bit where you hear, let us in our, where you hear the Trinity, as it were, dialoguing together and agreeing what they will make. That's really significant. It's also, mankind is also the only part of creation made in God's image. What does that mean? Well, that's a good question. It must at least include things like this, that we've been created with a capacity to be relational, to be spiritual, to be moral, creative, to rule, and so on, as God does. I can't pass this moment with at least letting you know this. You have, whatever your pluses, whatever your minuses, whatever your achievements, whatever your failures, you have extraordinary dignity. You have extraordinary dignity. The human population might be the, in the minority of creatures on the earth, but for all of mankind's failings, it can still be said of every living person, there is something about them that reflects God. 
like no other creature on earth does. People are equal, one writer said, in the same way pennies are equal. Some are bright, others are dull. Make your own mind up. Some are worn smooth, others are sharp and fresh, but all are equal in value, for each penny bears the image of the sovereign. Something of God about you. You've been made in his image. Don't be proud, but have dignity. God has imprinted something of himself in your very self. Now I wonder, as, as the pinnacle of God's creation, I wonder if he might have said, sit back, man. Take it easy, male and female. And everything else will serve you. But you'll notice that's not what he said. Because part of being created in the image of God means that we're designed to be creative, designed to rule, designed to work, designed to bring order from chaos, to take care, to be responsible, reflecting some of his qualities that he's imprinted in us. And the NIV translation, I think, slightly different to other translations, tries to capture this. Listen carefully. To the NIV translation that we read, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. Now, that's, there are different translations, but the NIV translators are trying to pick up this sense that it's not just that he's made us. Right, now go and rule then. No, he's made us in his image so that we may rule. There's something about us that is meant to rule, that is meant to take care, delegated rule, under the rulership of the ruler. Four things really... <coughs> are commanded in Genesis 1 and 2. He says, rule over. He says, be fruitful and increase in number. He says, fill the earth and subdue it. He says, work it and take care of it. In my mind this week, it was like, it was as if God had said, I've created all this, but I've not yet filled it. So you go. Male and female, you go. You continue the work of creation by being creative, by becoming many by fulfilling the potential of what I've made, people, planet, and places. See, stewardship, even work, are not the result of the fall. Mankind's job to rule is not a result of sin entering the world. This is pre the fall. This is pre-sin coming in. And God has said, go and rule. Fill the earth, multiply, subdue it, and so on. Now, the fall has introduced all sorts of complications and made even work toilsome, wearisome, hard, by the sweat of your brow, and so on. But it's part of the wonder and the dignity that you possess as being made in God's image that you are here to steward stuff. So I'd simply like you to agree this with me. Let's embrace, perhaps more than we've ever done before, God's call on us to steward well 
People, planet and places where we have influence because that is what part of it means to be made in God's image. Just let me ask you this. Do you think that might make a little difference to your workplace? Do you think that might make a little difference to looking after your kids again tomorrow? Do you think it might make a difference to befriending those neighbours within your reach? It's part of what it means to be made in God's image and reflect him. And then we can say this. Stewardship means ruling as he would rule. See, some people have taken this subduing the earth and ruling it and so on to say, well, it doesn't matter what we do, we just trample on anything. It's been given to us to subdue. That's absolute and utter nonsense. We rule as he would rule. Go back to Jackie and I being tenants when we first got married. The landlord could have said to us, we've got a tenant at the moment, we've got someone who rents a room in our house. I could say to him, Take care of my house as I would want to take care of it if I lived in it. Does that make sense? Not just use it and trash it. It's mine. So look after it as I would want it to be looked after. And likewise, God says to us as we steward his creation, people, planet and places, rule over it all for me, like me representing me as you work to take good care of it. There's a, the queen is sovereign over, I know some countries are wondering about keeping her as sovereign, but she's still sovereign over many nations in the world, one of which is the Cook Islands, which you've probably, anybody ever been to Cook Islands? I'd be amazed. Yes! Simon Gollings has been to Cook Islands. How about that? That's remarkable. Is there anywhere you haven't been? I know you've travelled a lot. Oh, you, oh, right, he hasn't been on it. Okay. Thank you for being honest. A bit late, but... Simon has sailed past the Cook Islands. He could have been thousands of miles past it, but he's... Anyway, regardless. The Cook Islands are 3,000 miles east of Australia. Sir Tom Masters is the Queen's representative in the Cook Islands. What a massive job in a tiny place, but what an important job. I would imagine that in his consciousness all the time is this. I'm representing the Queen, the boss. I'm stewarding this island for her. And all the time I would imagine him thinking, how would she want this done? See, she's not there physically to impose her will all the time. He is representing, it's what he's called. He's called the Queen's representative. That's his title in the Cook Islands. For us... As the king's representatives, that means stewarding his gifts wherever people, planet and places are within our reach. Always thinking, always conscious, I'm doing this for him. 
And it might be a big responsibility, it might be a very small one, but always with that kind of thinking. So how would God do your job? Steward it that way. How would he parent your children? Steward them that way. How would he care for body and mind? Well, care for body and mind as he would. How would he use time, talents, and treasures? Well, you do likewise. How would he care for people at the beginning of life and the end of life? Well, do likewise. Because we're stewarding for him like him. Take that as our cue because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth, people, planet and places he has given to the human race. So steward for him, representing him, knowing it's all on loan and all belongs to him. Here's what I'd like to do as we start this series. I'd like us to pray, and I'd like you to make a decision. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to make a small decision. Father, it's amazing to know you. It's it's astounding to be made in your image. It's astounding that you, who could have just done everything, have delegated to us rule under your sovereign rule. And Lord, I want to ask you, please, that you will gather us, you will help us individually, corporately, as families, as work colleagues, and so on, to grow in our understanding that the earth is the Lord's, and yet you've delegated it to us, people, planet, and places. Help us, Lord. We need you, Holy Spirit, in this very thing. Amen. So here's what I'd like you to do in response. I'd like you to think about your life very quickly, and to pick something. I know I'm stewarding this. You might be a parent. You might be at work. You might be responsible for others at work. You might have a real interest in the environment, in the climate, and so on. It could be anything else under people, planet, and places, what we've been given to steward. And when you know what your thing is, you're saying, Lord, I'm taking this seriously today. You've given me this to steward for you, like you, I'd just like you to stand up where you are, just to have done something. And then when you stood up, just close your eyes and start praying and say, Lord, you've given me this to steward. There might be a whole bunch of things. Pick one and just start praying and say, Lord, I've got this this morning. You've shown me this this morning. Now, please, Holy Spirit, empower me to steward well for you like you just have a conversation some of you might sense the need to repent and say Lord I've been off mark here that's fine just do that receive forgiveness Make a new decision.
And Lord, please put a joy in our hearts as we represent you and steward for you like you because you're the most joyful being in the universe. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen.